You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. We're going to get started here pretty quick, but uh, I want to take just a moment and introduce a really great friend. Is Ann here, Tim? Okay, stand right there and wave, really. This is Tim Evans. He is the resident, he and Ann are the resident gurus of marriage teaching here at New Life Church, and we honor them, we thank them for their input. Last fall, they hosted, with Becky and I, a great weekend marriage event, and we want to encourage you that are, are married already, if you've not met Tim and Ann Evans, take the opportunity to introduce yourself. They, they would love you, love some life into your relationship and into your marriage, and we appreciate them being here. Becky and I have been married this summer 33 years and looking forward to 33 more. There's a vision out there for us because Becky's folks this summer are celebrating their 60th anniversary. We're going to northern Idaho to party with them uh, in August. And it's going to be a wonderful get-together, wonderful event. For those of you that maybe have not uh, met us, we'd like to just let you know we'd love to meet you, love to get to know you, especially as the summer concludes and we get into a, a little bit more directed focus this fall on the idea of marriage. Kind of watch the, uh, the New Life Groups catalog this fall. There'll be some great things coming along this idea. As I said, 33 years ago we got married and it's been a wonderful journey a wonderful opportunity to grow together, continue to grow as a couple and as individuals. And our four children help us every day to keep growing. Daniel, uh, our son Daniel spoke this last two weeks, this last two Fridays at the mill on the idea of being ordinary. And, and really, uh, when he called himself Daniel of Briargate, I called him, I said, does that make me David of Cordera? I mean trying to figure out where I fit now, if he's Daniel of Briargate. So uh, the twins, our, our twin daughters, Christine King and Jessica Sheesby, both serve here in the children's ministry. Christine has three lovely daughters. Her husband, David, is a principal down at Carmel Middle School. Jessica and her husband, Brad, have a son and a daughter. And uh, we got a, one of the first calls Becky got this morning was from our granddaughter, Emma, uh, she's not quite three. She's t- just turned two, and and she called one to talk to her Gigi this morning. So we look forward to seeing her a little later. And then Daniel and Lisa have a girl and a boy, and that makes a total of seven grandkids for us. And we have really enjoyed this this uh, transition of becoming not just mom and dad, but Gigi and Grandpa Dave. And uh, you'll find as you as you travel along, you just keep putting on other hats. When I was uh, a young man, I used to be Dave Grothy, and then I became Becky's boyfriend, and then I became Becky's husband, and then the twins' dad, and Daniel and Anna's father, and now I'm Grandpa Dave. And so you just kind of keep putting hats on. Every, every now and then you have to take one hat off and put on another hat and emphasize the priority, whatever it is in your life, but... We're just really thrilled and want to thank Joe Kirkendall for giving us this privilege of being with you these four weeks. Joe, as I understand, is on his way back from India, China. Uh, I haven't had a haircut in a while because my, uh, <clears throat> my barber is on the India trip, and I'm so loyal, I'm going to wait until they come back to get a haircut. So, uh, Lots of... Lots of times when we meet with couples, I remember uh, we met with a, a couple several months ago, and uh, I was driving home from the office one day not too long ago, and I heard this woman that we had been meeting with or had met with a few times on the radio doing a radio interview, and she was talking about some difficulties that she'd had. And so on, I don't know the name of the Christian station, but whatever the main Christian station is here, she said, I heard her say, and I met with Pastor David Grothy at New Life Church, and I had just flipped the radio on, and I don't even listen to that station. Not that it's not a good station. 
So she says, and I, I met with Pastor David Grothy at New Life, and so I really started listening very closely, yeah, with her husband, the two of them. And she said, she said, now he's a very tall, debonair man. And I thought, this is so peculiar. And then she said, but he's never had uh, a difficult day in his life. So I don't think he fully understood where my hus- what my husband and I were dealing with. Well, then I got kind of ticked. And I thought, if I knew the number to that state, oh, my ring is going to, I got this cool ring that's going to rattle all morning. Um, I thought, if I knew the number to that station, I would call and I would say, do you want to talk about difficult days? I'll, I'll tell you some of his difficult days. See, I'm getting, I'm getting agitated just thinking about it. So uh, anyway, she said, so he couldn't relate to what I was, what we were trying to share with him. So uh, I told him about it, and I told him that I think it's helpful and maybe even important uh, to be able to share some of the things uh, that he has been through or that we have been through so people understand we aren't people who have just had a life of ease and, and can't relate to the difficulties. So I thought about that this morning, and I just, would you just take two minutes and just for those who weren't here last week or who haven't, heard parts of your testimony. Today's topic is 100% based on a desire that has been in me since I was a little guy, a little boy at home. My mother and father got married in 1949, 61 years ago last weekend. My father had been raised in the Midwest on the farm in Nebraska, went to World War II, came to Tulsa, was discharged, met my mother and married her in 1949. They had trouble conceiving. Six years later, they had one son, the only child. And my father was the hardest working man I ever knew. He worked for an oil company. Honey, it's kind of early. You might want to clarify that that was you. That was me. That they had. My father worked for his whole career, even before he married my mother, for an oil company started out as Stanlin Oil of Indiana, Standard Oil and Gas was the next name, Pan American Petroleum, Amoco was the following name, and now Amoco has been bought by British Petroleum. But my father was the hardest working man I knew, and I knew that I didn't want to work in an oil field since I was about six years old because of how, I saw, how hard I saw him work and the kind of work he had to do and how much he had to be gone to drill holes in the ground for the oil to flow. My mother and father were hardworking people. My mother took care of all of her family, her mother, father, sisters, nieces. She loved people. But my mother and father, as good as they were, did not have a basis in their marriage for faith. They never attended church. They were not uh, believing people as far as I could tell. They always made sure I got there. My mother's little sister would take me from a preschooler to church with them. My mother and father fought on a regular basis. Whenever my father was not working, which was about 75 or 80 hours a week, he would be home. My mother, they just did not have a happy home. They fought a lot. I learned more cuss words at home than I did on the playground. And I watched my mother and father be unhappy. I would go to bed at night and and pray this prayer. Lord, when I get married, I want to be happy. When I get married, I want to have a happy home. I would see my mother and father be verbally abusive to each other, physically abusive. There were many, many times that I had to stand between my father and mother, pull my dad away. After the dishes had been thrown off the table, the dinner table, we'd sit down for dinner, and all of a sudden it'd just be all over the floor. Coffee would be all over the wall. Dishes would be weapons, kitchen knives, hot irons, you name it. There was always a big fight at my house. And I would lay in bed at night for many, many years and just say, Lord, when I get married, I don't want to live like this. When I get married, I don't ever want to have an only child. I felt kind of helpless to be the only one refereeing this whole big fight for most of my childhood. After one particularly violent bloodletting, the next day I got a 
I was sitting in class in the sixth grade, and the phone, uh, the intercom rang, and it was David Grothy come to the principal's office. I came. My mother was standing there, still bruised from the night before, and she took me out of school. We went away and hid in a little seedy motel for several days. And on the final day we were in this hotel, she brought the morning paper to me, the Tulsa World, and she turned to that page where it said the people that died that day, people that were born that day, people that applied for marriage licenses that day, and the people that applied for a divorce. And she put her finger down on the, on the paper, and there was our family name under the divorces asked. And I, I just didn't, I didn't know what to do. I thought, this can't be. I'm going to be that kid from a single-parent home. You know, it was just a very awkward moment. We went back home, found my dad sitting on the end of the bed crying. First time I'd really seen him ever broken. And my counseling vocabulary had developed to this level as an 11-year-old boy. Can't we work this out? Can't we work this out? And they did not get a divorce. Things did not get much better very soon. But about three years later, for my father was out working on an oil well, that all exploded. When this happened 55 days ago in the Gulf, I thought, my goodness, this is the same thing that happened. Oh, my father was not on a deep well rig. Nine guys were killed that night at the well. And my mother and I found ourselves alone. She had already battled brain cancer not too many years before, two or three years after that divorce incident. She had overcome. My father and I taught her how to walk again, how to drive a car, how to take care of herself, how to be functional. She recovered. But shortly after I had gone to college, my, after my freshman year, she developed the brain tumor again, which this time was much more debilitating, and she did not survive. So I found myself in my late teens. My father had been killed at 15. My mother died at 19, and I now was all kind of on my own. And that prayer that I had prayed never had left my heart. Lord, when I get married, I want to have a happy home. It's been the cry of my heart since as long as I can remember laying in bed at night going to sleep. And today's message is so simple. But I want it to be for those of you who maybe have not had it modeled for you in your home. You've not seen your family happy. If I can ask, and I'm not trying to embarrass anybody, but who here has experienced divorce in your parents' marriage? Would you raise, hold it up. Who here, maybe your parents didn't get divorced, but the model in your home was less than what you'd hoped? Okay? So mom and dad are not perfect. Uh, maybe grandma and grandpa didn't have a happy marriage. Maybe your older brother or sister has not had a successful marriage. You've watched them struggle. Maybe you've got others in your family who you've seen struggle through the relationship of a man and a woman trying to be a couple, a husband and a wife. This very simple idea that we want to share with you today, and we've, we've been talking about this a long time in our marriage. We've been sharing this with families. It's not deep. There's nothing complicated, and I want Becky to just start today, but... If you're expecting some heavy, exegetical, hermeneutical exp explanation of the marriage union, don't, don't be disappointed today. I had a pastor walk up to me that has known, we've known him since 1992, and met him, met him, he and his wife, just months after they were married in a workshop very similar to this. And he told me even again this morning, you know, that simple idea that you shared with us in 1992 is still working for us. The Bible's true. You'd be a, a doer of God's word. He's very faithful to reward us, those that diligently seek him. He said there's a great reward. I scooted over here because that I just love you so much. No, I really do. And, you know, I just want to tell you... Um, even in the day that we were growing up, you know, back in the horse and buggy days, there wasn't, for someone like my husband who came out of the kind of home he was in, 
there weren't um, classes and support groups and uh, psychologists and, and all of that to help him work through the, the trauma or uh, the trauma of his childhood. And then there, there weren't people that would really, there weren't classes you could go to uh, to learn how to be a good husband or to learn how to be a good father. You know, back in the 1960s, I graduated in 1973 from high school, but in the 1960s, there was no term called domestic violence. The term had not been coined yet. It was just plain old fight. I mean, you just had a fight. And I would say that there were fighting, there was fighting going on in about every fourth house on my street. Sometimes you'd hear it, sometimes you'd see it. But you never talked about it. It was never acknowledged that a husband and wife would be physically violent at some point with each other. Now, domestic violence is just a run-of-the-mill term. And, and we have all sorts of headlines about it. So I just want, I said that because I want to encourage you. If you don't, if, if you've come from that, you don't have to be hopeless and feel like that's going to be your future. But with God's word and uh, a, a real determination on your part, you know, sometimes I think there's so many wonderful books and uh, help for, for young couples and for all of us, um, period. If we, if we never have access to those things and we simply have the Word of God or even the law that's written in our heart, even our conscience, even knowing right from wrong, we can be... Um, Successful isn't the right word, but we can be happy. We can live according to God's plan for our life. Now, you are all very technological. and One of the most techie guys that I know just walked in the room, our son-in-law, Brad Sheesby. So Brad's got like 14 remotes in his living room. And you all probably do too. We have two or three. We, you know, Brad's got one for his ceiling fan, his light dimmer, his... B- not VCR, sorry. That is so 90s. His DVR, his MP3G, you know, you've got all those remotes. When we were, uh, for years and years and years at our house, do you know what we used to change the channel on our TV? No. Dave's Toe. Because he could lay in the middle of the room and still reach the TV with his toe. So I would be, I know, that's a horrible picture to put in your mind. <laughs> but we would be, we'd be laying there in bed and I'd say, honey, would you please change the channel? And he'd reach up with his toe. <laughs> that says a couple things. The room wasn't very big and my legs are very long. So now there's just so many complicated things, and things are so complex. We were taking a trip to Louisiana several years ago, and we had this brilliant idea of renting a car to drive instead of putting miles on our car. So we rented this brand-new, high-tech vehicle. It was one of the first Chrysler um, lowrider. What do they call those? Three... 300, but it was the, the station wagon version of it. It was, really, it was really awesome. So we were so excited to be in this cool car and driving. It was July. It was the middle of July. It was hot, hot, hot. And so we were driving through Oklahoma and into Texas and then on to Louisiana. And, a, and about Paris, Texas, the air conditioning went out. Oh, so, we, you know, we had the windows down. We were just, what? Oh, we were so hot, just baking and, you know, trying everything we could try on this digital thing to get it to work. We pulled off and rebooted, and that didn't work. So we got into Paris, Texas, and we looked for this dealership, um, somebody to help us. And they said, well, that's computerized, and there isn't anybody that can reset the computer until Monday, so we stopped at a convenience store. We got 
um, gallon-sized Ziploc baggies and some bags of crushed ice. I'm not kidding you. We stuffed these bags of crushed ice, uh, baggies with crushed ice, and tucked them in all over around us. It was my idea. So Dave is totally humiliated. He said, honey, we'll be fine. No, I am like the answer man, and I've got a solution here. So we drove in this beautiful brand-new car with like 11 miles on it all the way to Louisiana with Ziploc baggies of ice tucked all over us. It was so complicated. That car was so complicated that it took, uh, you know, someone with specialized skill and equipment to even be able to just tweak the air conditioner. So we got it fixed. It was no big deal. But things are so complicated. And you have to have all these gadgets and degrees and, and theology degrees and everything else to be able to figure out life when it really isn't so. And do you know, I, I was just thinking today, if all we ever did, one of our girls, I think it was Christine the other day, said to her little girl, what is the golden rule? And if we just had the golden rule, we could have a happy home. If all we knew was do unto others as you would have them do unto you, that is the golden jumping rule, right? I know I'm jumping ahead. But so what I want to say in, in that is that it's not that complicated and we really don't have uh, a whole bunch of excuses for not living happily and having a happy home. So the first point that we want to make in our very uncomplicated, it's not that difficult, is be kind. Everybody say, be kind. Be kind. Say it again. If you're married and your spouse is in the room, turn and look at each other and say, be kind. Be kind. Be kind. Ooh, that was kind of quiet, wasn't it? Ephesians 4.32, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. We, we met with a couple back in Tulsa, this has been years ago, and uh, we had known them for a long time, and he was kind of, uh, if, if you knew anything about his home life, you would kind of describe him as a bully. Uh, they had a blended family, and he was not very kind to... Uh, her children, and he, w- he would push her and just be rough. But I'm telling you, he was like usher of the decade at church. He, when he got to church, he knew how to turn it on. Do you ever do that? Yeah? I do that. You know, we had our little kids. Oh, am I jumping ahead again? I don't know. I don't know if I'm jumping ahead, but I'm going to, I don't know where I'm going either. But I'm going to just tell you this. Um, we had Christine and Jessica, and then about 19 months later, Daniel was born, and we were in ministry. You know, we were on a church staff. We were big, big dogs at the church, and, and Dave would always go real early, which meant I got to stay and get all the three kids ready, and then later four kids, and meet him at church about 8 o'clock in the morning. So we were getting ready. I had them all ready and at the door, and getting ready to start loading them in their car seats. And they were, just, they were just at each other and loud. And I was trying to get to church. And, uh, and I looked down at all three of them, and I'll never forget it. I said, would you just shut up? And they all looked at me. They were like three and two. And they looked up at me, and I know this was their thought in their little minds. Mom is going to hell. (laughs) She just said the S word. Because we don't say shut up at our house. And when I said, we have got to get to church. God wants to use me this morning. I'm on the pastoral staff. I need to be there and ready to minister to people. And I might have a word for somebody. And shut up. Now, doesn't that, didn't that sound awful when I said that? Do you think less of me because I did that? I do. It, it's the only time I ever told my kids to shut up. And I still haven't recovered from it. 
So be kind. Just be kind. You're, if you can be kind to everybody else, when you come, if you can come to church and just be nice and, or go to work or go to school and just, you know, turn on the charm, if you just have a little bit of charm, if you just have a little bit of nice, if you just have the capacity for a little bit of kindness, just use it up at home and don't waste it on the world if you can't first do it at home. Okay, I'm sorry. Usher the decade. So anyway, this guy. Um, so we're meeting, and he, he's mean to his wife, mean to his kids, and she has separated from him. So we're sitting in our office at the church, and he goes like this. <laughs> you know, just this, these big tears, but there weren't any. And he said, I just want to be the high priest of my home. I just want to be the high priest of my home. And so I looked across the table at him, and I said, and she just wants you to be nice. She doesn't care about the priesthood. She's not very interested in that right now. All she's interested in is you being nice. So that made him really mad. And then he got real religious trying to teach me about the priesthood. And I said, I know all about that. But if you can't be nice, you don't get to be the priest. So, guys, yes, you should be the priest of your home, and you should represent your family to God, and, and you should be all of that. But first you have to be nice, and then you can be the priest. Kindness, being kind, is communicating that someone is valuable by your actions. Actions. Somebody is valuable by the way you treat them. You're communicating their value by your actions toward them. And uh, let me just encourage the men that are in the room. Our culture has not valued women. Many, many other cultures of the world, more than not value, they devalue them. They put them down. They put them in a place that uh, keeps them from becoming who God has called them to be. I want men in the mill to learn how to communicate kindness to women. Common courtesy. The ability to prefer somebody. Uh, not walking uh, 20 feet in front of her if she's your date, let alone your wife. I speak from experience because uh, my long legs carry me a lot faster, a lot further, a lot quicker. And learning how to walk in deference and pre preferring the, even the, any, not just women, not just my wife, anybody. I'm going to have a conversation with anybody. I better slow down. So how can you communicate? Ask yourself, what can I do to communicate kindness in my relationships and, and show the value of the person I'm with or the, my date or my my girlfriend, my fiance, my wife, how can I communicate their value? Number two, be forgiving. Learn how to forgive. Here's what Jesus says. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father Forgive your trespasses. No, notice what Mark 11 says. Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. That your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. Notice that giving is forgiving. What is giving for? It's forgiving. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I had a woman tell me this in context of her husband one time. We were having this conversation about their home, their, their marriage, and she said, I don't get mad. I, no, I, I never get mad. I get even. So are you a forgiver? Or are you one who gets even? You may be quiet. You may not have a, an angry bone in your body. You might be the other person just... No unexpressed opinions. You just say everything you think, and it's always out there, and nobody ever questions what you're, what's going through your head because it doesn't stay in your head long enough. It always comes out of your mouth. 
What did, what did Jesus say? He said, if you're going to pray about this, if you're going to come to the altar before you ask anything of God, if you've got anything against anyone, forgive him. And in a relationship at home, in a marriage, a man and a woman have got to learn how to forgive each other because you're going to not live together very long until somebody has the opportunity to take offense or to be offended or to be hurt or to feel slighted. There was a story, somebody in our family, really, you want to tell this story? She was a wonderful mother, but she always said, I, I'm not going to make my kids apologize. I'm, if they don't have it in their heart, if they don't feel it coming out of them, I'm not going to make them say they're sorry. Now, what do we teach children? We teach them how to say please and thank you and yes, sir, yes, ma'am. Uh, but, but she could never say to her children, I say, you're sorry. Apologize. And it held true as, as her children grew up. They, all of them had trouble saying that. And I want to encourage you, learn how to take ownership for your own actions and learn how to apologize. And even if you're that person that has been offended and you're waiting to forgive until somebody apologizes to you, don't hold your breath because they may never ever say it. If you're waiting to forgive until you've been asked for it, learn how to proactively release somebody and say, what did Jesus say? They're nailing him on the cross, putting nails in his hands. And he looked down and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus proactively forgave the people that were killing him. So how is forgiveness operating in your life? Are you able, as a person, now we're talking about the marriage relationship here, but 90% of us in this room are not married. Where are you right now with your ability to extend forgiveness? Learning how to say, I was wrong, please forgive me. And then, if you're that person that's being asked for forgiveness, you've got to learn how to say, I forgive you. There have been times when I've said, Becky, please, I, I was wrong. Please forgive me. And she would say, you were wrong. <laughs> yes, you were. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, you want to just um, punish them just a little bit longer. You know, if, if Dave apologizes, then I might say, well, I just can't believe you treated me that way. And, and I just don't know. It just hurt me so deep. I... I'll, I'll get back with you on that. Because there's something powerful about holding, holding on to that. We, you know, it feels that way. But it really uh, is destructive. So it has to be a real free thing in asking for forgiveness and extending forgiveness and just walking in that, uh, that relationship with your husband and wife. Get this picture. A length of rope about this long. And then tying a knot and putting a knot in the middle of this length of rope. Forgiveness is untying the knot. Making it straight. I know some people, I've known people in my life that have never been able to let it go. Never been able to forgive. Always holding the grudge. Always keeping the offense. And you know what? They are tied up in knots emotionally. They've always got something in their craw. They've always got some chip on their shoulder. They've always got some hurt they're carrying. Forgiveness is to untie the knot. Make it straight. The next one is to control your tongue. Watch what you say. Now, did your mother ever say, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. And that, that's a good thing to learn in a marriage relationship. James 3.2 says, For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word... He is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Now, meditate on that a minute. If you can control your tongue, it proves that you have control over the rest of your body. Some of us have the excuse, well, I, I just got a case of the can't help it. You know, I just... Well, if you can get a hold of your mouth, you can get a hold of the rest of your body. 
And when Becky and I started really believing this verse, it got real quiet in our relationship. We weren't mad. We weren't pouting. We were just measuring the output of our mouth. Jesus said it this way, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You don't have to be around somebody five, ten minutes and hear them talk to hear what's in their heart. You can stand and listen and have a picture of what's in that person's heart. The tenor of their conversation. The, the hurt that they're carrying, it's influencing. If they're defensive, if they're overly uh, aggressive, you'll, you'll hear something in their heart and be able to locate. I want to ask you, stop and listen to yourself talk. Just take a minute and hear and review what's just come out of your mouth in any situation. You know, we just made the point about forgiving, and I was just thinking as it relates to controlling your tongue or watching what you say. Um, sometimes in the heat of an argument, or sometimes we just know the the buttons that we can push that will really uh, get a response or be hurtful. And if you say something like, I should have listened to my dad and never married you. And then you say, oh, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I shouldn't have said that. It's too late, folks. You, it's already out there. Those, there are certain things like that that really are irretrievable. Or uh, uh, the biggest mistake I ever made was marrying you. Oh, honey, please forgive me. I, I, I didn't mean that. But those, not everything can be retrieved with an apology or or made better with an apology so it's so important that to guard and uh, watch the things that come out of your mouth because they really do give life or death and 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 don't think that you can just be you know we I, I talk a lot you've seen that and sometimes I just kind of say all these things, and then I said something the other day to Pastor Lance. I can't re remember what it was, but after I said it, I thought, man, why did I even say that? I wish I hadn't said that, but I'd already said it. And uh, so it's good to go back and ask for forgiveness, but it's better to not say it in the first place. First Peter 3, 8 through 10. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tender-hearted. Be courteous not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Now listen to this. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. So if you want to live long and have good days, just... Uh, Watch the things that come out of your mouth. Speak good things. Speak a blessing. Now, for me, I can be really quick with a retort, with a comeback, with a uh, witty, sometimes cutting reply. And, and I think, wow, that was good. Woo, that was really good. But it wasn't. You know, it was carnal. Um, it wasn't a spiritual response. But uh, so we have to guard those kinds of things. And for me, sometimes I'm just thinking I'm doing well to just not respond. But this scripture actually says we come back with a blessing. It's not only that we don't say something, but we say something that blesses someone or uh, gives life. And this final verse under this uh, point, James chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. I promise you, everyone in this room can leave and go put this into practice this afternoon. So then, beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Another translation says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. If you'll go home today and listen twice as much as you talk... You have two ears and one mouth. That means you should listen twice as much as you talk. You will learn how to not get angry. Many words produce a higher level of emotion and anger. 
So listen twice as much as you talk. Learn how to actively and proactively listen. We could spend a whole day on just learning how to make eye contact, learning how to have a little body language that shows you're paying attention, learning how to ask the follow-up question saying, hey, that was great. What, what else did you think about that? Engage each other in proactive words, not the kind of words that produce strife. So the next idea in our brief outline of you can have a happy marriage is do unto others. Becky quoted it earlier. The golden rule. This is the rule that all children refer to in their golden rule uh, studies in Sunday school. Matthew 7. Therefore, whatever you do to men or whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. Ephesians, Paul says it this way, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good and ne- for necessary edification, that your words may impart grace to the hearers. When you speak to your mate, speak words of healing, words of health, words of wholeness, not words of criticism and words of put down. In Galatians 7, he says, Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. You want to have kindness in your home? Sow some kindness. You want to have a spouse that listens to you? Listen to them. You want to have children that listen to you when they're little? Talk to them. They'll listen to you when you're older as a parent. Talk to them when they're little. They'll listen to you when you're older. I want to encourage you to learn how to have a reciprocal relationship. Jesus made it very clear. Whatever you would that men would do to you, do to them. You want somebody to be kind to you, be kind. You want them to treat you guys like a king, treat her like a queen. Learn how to reciprocate in a relationship. Giving and receiving is the key to life. When Noah and his family got off the ark, one of the first words God said to him was, seed time and harvest will always be in the earth. Sowing and reaping will always be a part of your life. Planting and harvesting, giving and receiving. It's it's the cycle of life. You know, it's not... Mufasa on the rock, it's not the circle of life. It's the cycle of life, of giving and receiving. Number five. I want to do the avoid strike. (laughs) Number five. This is the biggest idea, I think, from one little scripture that I'm going to give you, that every couple has got to do. Walk in agreement. My favorite verse is Amos 3.3 on this topic. If you disagree, find a place where you can come into agreement. The King James asks a rhetorical question. How can two walk together except they be agreed? They can't. He says, be willing to modify your desires in order to be in agreement. Most people have not learned how to put their flesh to death, how to be Selfless. Most people come into this world and live their life selfishly, not selflessly. And there's no place in a marriage for selfishness. Absolutely. What I want, my own way, my way or the highway, that is not a marriage. Yes, God called men and holds us responsible to be the head of our home. But the verse we shared last week from Ephesians chapter 5, it's on the notes from last week. He says, before he talks to women or men, he says, submitting yourselves one to another is under the Lord, giving yourselves mutually to each other. Mutual submission is the key to a happy home and a happy marriage. Being willing to modify what you want to achieve what's the best for your marriage. And finally, the sixth point in today's outline is... Avoid strife. You know what strife is? That's kind of a Bible word, but um, avoid arguments. Refuse unnecessary arguments and avoid strife. Seek to be at peace with each other. James 3.14 says, Where envy and strife or self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. So um, nothing is worth opening your home to confusion and every evil work. Would you agree? No, No point that you're trying to make is worth that. When you have that visual, I did that to our kids one time. They were just, you know, always arguing, this driving somewhere in the car, and they were just 
uh, at each other the whole time we got home. And I just, I shared that scripture with him. And I went to the front door and I opened it and I said, okay, confusion and every evil work, just come on in. And they're looking at me like, mom, shut the door. Stop. You're scaring me. But that's in essence what we're doing when we're in strife, when we're arguing, when we're fighting and angry and living that way, we are opening our, our lives and our homes and our relationship to confusion and every evil work. I, as she's talking about this, I'm thinking about every little thing that we could argue about. You know what it is that usually drives most arguments? It's pride. I, I want to be right. I have my way, way, but really most of the time I'm right. It's pride that drives this kind of division in a home, in a relationship. And I want to just challenge you. What are you willing to let go of? I'm not talking about compromising your, your Bible principles. I'm not talking about rolling over. And when you hear the word compromise, sometimes you think you're giving away something that's really valuable. Use the word adjust, modify. I'm not tweak. Yeah, be be flexible. Be ready to adjust and repair this whatever it is, the breach that's between you. And you'll get to the place where you both have commonly held principles that you're not going to there are non-negotiables in any marriage. We stand for this. We believe for this. We will not compromise what's true. But in your relationship, some things are just not that important. And if you're going to continue to demand your own way, you're going to continue to have strife in your relationship. Some things really, much of what we deal with are just personal preferences. They have nothing to do with what's right or what's wrong or good or bad. Uh, It's just a personal preference. I told you last week about my cousin Darlene. How many of you remember Darlene? Oh, it made a real impression. The picture of Jesus. Yeah, you know, the the gaudy picture of Jesus, if there is such a thing. Okay. So our second argument was... We were getting, we were setting up our bedroom and uh, we were going to hang the mirrors and we had two uh, vertical mirrors that would, to go over our dresser, kind of a his and hers. It was, you know, kind of clever. And so we have these two mirrors and I was standing back telling Dave where to hang them. And so, uh, because remember I was the queen of the house and in charge of all the decorating. And so I was telling him where to put him, and he kept in, inching it up. And I said, no, lower, 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 lower. And, and uh, so he'd hold it, and then the next thing I know, he's moving it up. And so I said, no, lower. They're, they need to be lower. They're supposed to be eye level. And he said, it is. <laughs> so it's perspective. Eye level for me is like navel level for him. (laughs) Another picture that you get to leave with today. I haven't any. Uh, So, honey, we're not covering that until the last week. That's when we talk about those things. So I wanted it a certain place, and I'm pushing and pushing and pushing and then I, I think about this, and I would watch him get ready in the mornings. And we had, in our bathroom, the mirror filled the entire wall, you know, the vanity. So, um, but still, he is so tall, when he dry, would dry his hair, he would have to do this to be able to see. And so then I, I got so convicted after the nails were in place and the mirrors were hung. You understand where I wanted them. But then I started feeling sad because I thought, bless his heart. Every morning he goes to get ready and he has to practically, you know, get on his knees to be able to see in the mirror. And then the one mirror that he has in our bedroom, I'm insisting it's at my eye level. Now, that's really selfish. Did I ever apologize to you for that? Uh, I'd be happy to accept it. Yes, I apologize. (laughs) Please forgive me. I was wrong. I forgive you. Thank you. So, anyway, you know, what I should have done is I should have said, but let me tell you just a little bit, and then we'll, we'll close, just a little bit of what was driving that for me, and it's so silly, but I'm thinking, all my friends, no, all my really 
um, classy friends who have these great decorate, decoration ideas, decor ideas. If they ever came in here and saw those mirrors that high, they would think, bless her heart, she doesn't know they're supposed to be eye level. And so it was kind of this thing in me that I had to um, make a point in our bedroom even. Whoever goes in your bedroom, nobody. Anyway, they shouldn't. That's not this week. That's two weeks from now as well. So, But I had this point to make that I knew all about how it's supposed to be. So regardless of his comfort or what was functional even for him, it had to be my way. So don't, don't be like me. I'm telling you, don't be like me when you grow up. You prefer your husbands, you prefer your spouse, and uh, realize that most of it is just a matter of preference, and, and um, be the one to give. I have, you know, my husband told you that, Dave, told you that my mom and dad are having their 60th wedding anniversary, and that is such a gift to me and to my, I have a sister and two brothers, and, you know, my, my mom is real spunky. And she's a Greek lady, and she's fiery, and, and has a lot of personality and a lot of opinion, and she's got good opinions. And my dad, for 60 years, just sits and smiles. It's just like, Grandma Wheezy, whatever makes you happy makes me happy. And they have lived happily for 60 years because they have adapted to each other and discovered uh, what it takes to live in peace and in harmony together. And, uh, and I want to be like that. I want to be like that when I grow up. And so we want to encourage you today. Do you want to go, do you want to recap just real quick? And then, so the first one is be kind. Everybody say, number two, a little louder. Number three, yeah. Number four, five. Six, and don't say shut up. <laughs> don't really, don't say shut up. How many of you say shut up? Okay, Le- this, is, this is Gigi saying to you, stop saying shut up. If you think about it, that's just like demeaning. That's, that is, I don't care what you have to say. I don't want to hear you. So just stop saying shut up, okay, for me? How many of you will commit? Come on. You, now, sometimes people say, shut up. You know, in that regard, and maybe that's okay. But the, the cutting, hurting words, let's just avoid those. And Can we pray? Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this room full of wonderful people. Thank you for young men and young women who are devoted to you and who are committed to living a life that honors you. We pray for all of the ones here today that are married, that these very simple, uncomplicated uh, principles will go deep in their hearts, in all of our hearts, that we would uh, live in these principles in our homes and at school and at work, in our relationships, in every area of our life, Lord, let us apply these things. I speak a blessing and I pray for the young men and the young women who are not married, who are uh, seeking seeking you about that, that uh, wise decisions and choices will be made. And uh, I just pray a blessing over every person here today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all. Have a great weekend.